back. If the notes are gone, you can go on the website, and the notes are there. Dale's on the front row. How intimidating is that? Yes. So, just Sid just told me that Katie's blood pressure is 149 over 82 right now, and um, that's too high. So she's on the phone right now with the doctor. She's had this week has been a rough one for her, and um, as far as her um, blood pressure, so we've been asked to pray for her. So we don't really want her to have to go to the ER again. So, so Lord. You love, you love Katie so much, and you love that little one so much, too, God. And um, right now, we are asking that you would just cause this sweet, sweet, soft tenderness of your presence to come into the Doyen home, Lord, and just bring peace, bring peace to all of them, but especially Katie and that precious baby, Lord. We pray that you would desire and long for that peace that go way down, Lord. Bring her that peace that we all desire and long for, that peace that um, just surpasses all understanding, Lord. And we pray that there would be no need for her to go to the ER. And we pray that um, the rest of this pregnancy would just be one with low blood pressure and that Katie would um, just let go of the stresses and the anxieties of life, Lord, and that you would bring this baby to term safely and healthy. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. But the baby's okay? Okay. <clears throat> okay, and then one quick announcement. David's going to be on TV tonight. Perhaps. You haven't seen it yet? Okay. So, uh, HDTV, but it's not 6 o'clock. It's 9 o'clock tonight. I went on, yeah, on Spectrum. It's not on till 9. Yeah. So, anyway, if, look up HDTV uh, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Tonight's the opening season and look for David's pretty face. They're going to be at a cast party, so they won't be able to watch it with us, but uh, yeah. All right. Yes, Jan. No, it's not till nine o'clock tonight, so we're going to do house church and then, yeah. So we're good. Thanks for asking, though. All right. So now that we've got the important things out of the way, and uh, no autographs. Dave's not giving autographs, but uh, but anyway. So Ephesians chapter three. Um, Paul talks about this mystery, and uh, we'll get into it. But God is so mysterious. Still, I mean, there are so many things that you know. If you read the book of Daniel, after he gives Daniel all this prophetic picture, he says this saying, "I'm going to seal up the understanding of it until the end of the age." So. God kind of does that all the time. And so there's mysteries throughout Scripture. And I personally, if, if I have a choice of any type of movie I want to see, I always want to see a mystery. I always want to try and figure out the end before the end. 
Um, and so Paul is writing, he's, he's in jail. Well, he's not in jail, he's under house arrest. But Paul's imprisoned, and so he's writing. And because of imprisonment, we get a lot of the New Testament, so it's kind of a cool thing. Um, and so he's writing uh, to the church at Ephesus, and um, he's, it, it's interesting because he starts out, he's, he's written them before, but we don't have the letter that he's written to them before. So this is the letter we get, and he starts out like this. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets in the Spirit. So Paul, again, he's under house arrest. So when he starts out, he says, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for the sake of you Gentiles. Um, so he's under house arrest. Um, he's, he's allowed to move freely around the house during the daytime. But at night, they actually chain a soldier to him because I guess most house escapes take place in the middle of the night. I don't know. But so he's chained at night. But uh, during the day, he's free. And during the day is when he sits and he writes letters to all the churches that he's planted. And remember, when he writes to Galatia, he's writing to a region. He, <clears throat> he's not writing to an individual church. But when he writes to the Ephesians, he's writing, quite frankly, to his most favorite people, the people he's lived with the longest, the people he's discipled the most. And so he's writing. He's, he's waiting, if you remember, went through the book of Acts. Um, he got arrested for bringing a Gentile into the court of the Jews. Um, <coughs> And so when they arrested him, he pleaded, and he says, look it, I'm a Roman citizen. I want my case to be heard, not by the Sanhedrin. I want my case to be heard by Caesar. And so because he's a Roman citizen, because he makes that request, they have to grant it. And so Paul is taken from Jerusalem up to Rome, and he's put under house arrest. And so he's waiting to go to trial to have his day in court, so to speak, uh, before Caesar. But he wanted the the Ephesians to understand this, that yes, he is a prisoner because they said he broke the law and he wants to plead his case before Caesar. But he says, I, I answered to no man. I'm not a prisoner of Caesar. <clears throat> I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if, if he's in prison, he's not in prison because he answers to the Roman government. He's in prison because he answers to the Lord and the Lord in his divine providence has set it up for Paul to be under house arrest. And so he's, he's under house arrest. He's waiting for a trial because of his missionary efforts to the Gentiles. And so, um, so the last thing he wants is for these people. You know, he's in Rome. He's under house arrest. What are they doing to him? He wants them to understand that it was actually a benefit to them that he is a prisoner now. And so he wants to make it clear. And, and the reason he wants them to understand is because he says this, that the, the stewardship of God's grace that he gives to them. And so the stewardship <clears throat> refers to these apostolic gifts that Paul has to preach and to teach. So when Paul's in Ephesus, Paul serves, I believe, two roles. He's there for a total of three years. So he's not only there as an apostle, but he is, for most of the time he's there, he's also there as a pastor. 
He's also shepherding the shepherds. Uh, you remember in Acts 20 when he's trying to get back to Jerusalem um, by Pentecost because he missed Passover. He knows that if he <clears throat> goes the way he normally goes, he'll have to stop in Ephesus. If he stops in Ephesus, he will never make it to uh, Jerusalem in time because it's kind of like one of those things. You know, I remember years ago, people would get upset with me after morning service because I didn't say hi to them. You know, and so Paul is kind of in this position that if I go to Ephesus, I'm going to have to say hi to everybody. And if I say hi to everybody, it's going to take all my time. So he bypasses Ephesus by boat, and he goes down to Miletus. But he gets to Miletus, and now he's convicted that, you know, they want him to think he's rude. So he sends for the elders. He sends for the pastors of the house churches that he pastored for all those years. And so when Paul's writing, he's, he's writing to a people he loves a lot, and he's writing to reaffirm what he taught them and what he lived with them for those three years that he was in Ephesus. And so he wanted them to know <clears throat> that everything he shared with them was by revelation. He didn't want them to assume for any minute that it was, some, it was in Paul's opinion. He didn't want them to think it was this theory that Paul had come up with, and so now he's going to share it with them as a fact. Um, it's kind of like everybody knows people who have opinions, but they like to present it to you as if it's a fact. And, um, and so Paul wanted to make certain that the people at Ephesus knew this wasn't his opinion. This wasn't some sort of thing that he just pulled out of the sky. This was a revelation he received from God that he's giving to them. And this revelation is about this great mystery. And so he, th this, and this revelation wasn't just given to him. If, if Paul had been the only one during that time preaching this, people could have said, this is the revelation of Paul. But Peter preaches it. Um, Paul doesn't just write it to the church at Ephesus in his discipleship of Timothy. He writes about the same mystery to Timothy. <clears throat> and so this revelation um, is specifically this how God always intended for the Jews and the Gentiles to fellowship together and to comprise the church. This is, a, this is the mystery Paul is teaching to them, is telling to them, because most of the New Testament, all of the letters from Paul are written to Gentiles. All of Paul's ministry that we know, I mean, I'm certain that he talked to Jews, but most of his ministry and calling was to Gentiles. Peter's ministry and calling was to Gentiles. And Peter and Paul, even though they're much different in their personality, share the same message with Gentiles, and the message was about this mystery. Because remember, we talked about this last week, that the, the Jews and the Gentiles disdained each other. The Gentiles disdained the Jews because the Jews acted as if they had a revelation from God that made them special and nobody else was worthy to have a relationship with God like dogs. The Jews, toward the Gentiles, they just called them dogs. They just thought because 
they didn't have a relationship with God that they had, that they weren't worthy of anything. So there was no love lost between these two people. And so Paul is emphasizing to them, guys, there is this great mystery that God has revealed to me by his grace, and you're part of the mystery. And here is the mystery, that when God sent his son Jesus, he didn't send him to just Jews. God sent Jesus to everybody, to all the nations, and it's always been in God's heart for Jews and Gentiles to fellowship together, to live together, to comprise what we called the church. And so Paul wants him to know that Jews and Gentiles would join together at one body that would comprise what we call and what he calls the body of Christ. Um, and, and so it wasn't made known, Paul says, to the Son of Man until this revelation came. So in other words, he's saying it's always been there. In fact, we'll look at some scriptures in the Old Testament. God's heart and intention for Jews and Gentiles to be joined together in this great mystery has always been in his plan, even in the Old Testament. But it wasn't until Jesus came that the revelation of the fullness of this plan is being made known. So it was always there, but it was hidden. So he goes on in verse 6 and 7. He says this. To be specific, so he says, Here's, here is exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about this mystery. To be specific, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. So right now, he's describing what this mystery is. The mystery is this. Gentiles are to be the fellow heirs in one body. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles joined together, comprising what we call the body of Christ, <clears throat> what, the church, what the Bible calls the body of Christ. Excuse me. <clears throat> so the truth of this mystery means that Gentiles are now full partakers of all the promises that God gave to the Jews. And we talked about this when we went through the book of um, Galatians, that as followers of Christ, we too are heirs of the inheritance given to Abraham. And, and Paul made it very clear that there would be Jews, even though they were born Jews, who were not qualified to be partakers of the inheritance of the righteousness of Abraham because they rejected God. They didn't participate in any part of the law and any part of worshiping God. But those who have a relationship with God through Jesus are recipients of the gift of righteousness that God promised to Abraham. And that's why it goes on throughout the New Testament to talk about us being grafted in to talk about us being joined heirs with Christ. And Paul talking about this great mystery of Jews and Gentiles being joined together and that the privilege of having a relationship with God was no longer reserved for just Jews. Gentiles now are a part. And so, and Paul's saying, look it, <clears throat> um, you know my story, um, and it's a mystery to me as well, but God has chosen me to give me this revelation in order that I might share it with you. And um, so, and he does so by a gift of grace, which shows the working of God's power. And, and the title minister literally means um, a table waiter who's always at the bidding of his customers. Um, we've all been to restaurants. We've all had 
good servers, and we've all had so-so servers. But you always feel good when you leave a restaurant if your server was on top of things, always making sure, personable, making sure you have what you need, always. Paul is saying, I've been, that's what this word minister literally means. So Paul is saying, I've been here continually to serve you with this revelation of this great ministry. This is the dish I keep putting before you. The dish is this, that you are chosen by God, just as the Jews are chosen by God. And a big part of his message is, therefore, you must fellowship together as brothers in Christ. You must fellowship together as one body. You can't have a Jew service and you can't have a Gentile service. And last week we talked about the wall of separation, which is in the outer court of, of the, the temple. And that's part of the reason Paul is in jail right now is because he took a Gentile into the part of the court that was reserved for Jews. And so the Sanhedrin came, they wanted to arrest him. He says, no, I'm a, I'm a Roman, take me before Caesar. So here's what he talks about. Now he begins to present and unfold. And, and here's the thing, we're gonna get now into a mystery inside a mystery. It's kind of like one of those stories where you think you've got it figured out, and then all of a sudden, something else, you know? You thought it was the butler in the kitchen, and it turned out to be the maid in the basement, you know, that, that type of thing. And so, he says to me, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given <clears throat> to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the ministry, mystery, and here he says, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. So now he's telling them, look it, I'm not making something up. I'm going to tell you something that's been in God's heart for ages. God has hidden it. It's always been there, and he chose the moment to reveal it, and the moment of the revelation birthed onto the scene when Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. And really, it was birthed when Cornelius came to the house of Peter to ask him to come, or he sent his messenger, to ask him to come and to teach him about Jesus. And so Paul, first of all, I mean, he's, why does he have to say, I'm the least of the saints? Why, why first of all, if, if you remember the story of the thorn in Paul's flesh, you know, he says, I beg God to take away. And here's what he says. He says, I had this thorn in the flesh because God needed to keep me humble because of the great revelations he had given me. So Paul understands in this process God is giving him things he hasn't given to anybody else and Paul because of his personality he's basically saying I could get really boastful and proud about this but God is doing everything he can to keep me humble so I'm I'm going to approach you out of humility so he says so I'm bringing this to you not as Paul who was part of the Sanhedrin it was a Pharisee not as Paul, who's a Roman citizen, not a Paul who is taught by the, the greatest teacher of all, Gamaliel, not as this great, great guy. I'm coming to you, the very least of the saints, and um, coming to you in grace, thankful but humbled by the revelation God has given me to share with you. 
and God gave it to me so that I should preach. And this word preach, um, it's, it's euangelizo, which we get the word evangelism. So it basically means he was given this revelation to evangelize the Gentiles with the gospel. And so he does the understanding that the heart of the gospel is the greatness of the grace of God. The heart of the gospel is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That our relationship with God is based upon a completed work that comes to us through grace. That Jesus did. And his grace is that which keeps us in humility. Remember again with Paul and his thorn in the flesh? You know, when he says, I've gone before the Lord, and, and God's response to Paul was this, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul understands the power of grace in his life. And so it's kind of like Paul says, I tried to search this thing out. And it's kind of like when you try to search out the depth of grace, it's like Paul was trying to, to map out a little lake. And all of a sudden, he realized he's on the shore of an ocean. Just the greatness of the grace of God is overwhelming. It's unsearchable is what he says. We will never know the complete depth of the grace of God. And each one of us know that in our own lives because every time we fall, that ocean of grace is there to catch us. Regardless of what that sin is, the the. the ocean of God's grace is sufficient for whatever we've done. Now, there may be consequences on earth side, but on heaven side, Jesus took the consequence for us. I'm always mindful of um, Ted Bundy's, before he was executed, he gave an interview to James Dobson. And in that interview, this is a man who um, raped and murdered many young girls, and he was about to be executed. And uh, he, he didn't grow up as a bad guy. He grew up in the church. But in prison, he, he came face to face with who he was and, and the vileness of his actions. And he sat there talking to Dr. Dobson, talking about the overpowering power of the grace of God in his life how he was going to his death so remorseful of the families he had harmed and so remorseful of the women that he had abused and murdered, but so grateful for this ocean of grace that was sufficient enough to forgive him of all that he had done and grant him eternal relationship with God. We don't understand. We can't comprehend the vastness of this ocean of the grace of God. And Paul's letting these Gentiles know it is that vast ocean whose bank I'm standing upon right now sharing with you this revelation that God's grace is the whole heart of the gospel that I'm sharing with you. It's unsearchable. Um, It's the, the bigger the sin, back to Ted Bundy, the bigger the sin, the more glory there is in the grace of God. Now, from Earth's side, I'm certain there are people who would listen to that interview, quite possibly family members who had lost a daughter or a, or a sister or a wife, who would have no um, motivation to exercise any type of forgiveness or grace toward Ted Bundy and what he had done. 
but from heaven's side, the greater the sin, the greater the grace. And, and it's, it just, that's just the way it works. Every day, day upon day, you know, David says, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. And so here we are. You know, Ted Bundy was on the very gates of hell, and God plucked him out. And that's how his grace works. That's the sufficiency of the grace of God is that there is nothing too big that grace cannot forgive. And you need to, I mean, in light of what Gina shared this morning, she not knowing what I was going to say today, but in light of what she was sharing this morning what the Holy Spirit gave to her about what we speak over our own lives, understand that if you have said things about yourself that are not in agreement with who God made you to be, then but we have to walk into that grace. And so he says, and this grace is here to make us all see what is the fellowship of the mystery. And this, why does he call it the fellowship of the mystery? Um, and what he's saying is this, is, is these are not only facts to know, but they're also facts to live by. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to live. It's one thing to say, I go to church. It's another thing to say, I fellowship. There are people who will come and sit, listen, leave, and have no fellowship and no relationship. The fellowship that we have in this house, this fellowship that we have in our house churches, is really based upon the fellowship of this mystery, that we are all recipients of the grace of God, that we all at one time were in a, in a, in a place of being separated from God, whether young or old. And the thing that draws us together, that joins us together, we are unique and we are as different as the Jews and the Gentiles were. And the thing that draws us together is the grace of God at work in our lives till we find fellowship in this great mystery that God loves us regardless, that God has a plan for us that is bigger than we could imagine, even if on this side it seems small. And so we need to understand that this fellowship of mystery was hidden because, remember, he said, Paul says, um, for which for ages has been hidden in God. So this fellowship of mystery is the thing that's been hidden in God throughout the generations. And it, it, it is united in Jesus with other believers without removing all the separation that existed between Jews and Gentiles. So here's, this is the mystery. It's, it's because it was unknown and it was unknowable until God revealed it. So up until if you had talked to a Jew or you had talked to a Gentile the day before Jesus was crucified and said, so what do you guys think about fellowshipping together? What do you guys think about breaking bread together? What do you guys think about going to each other's house and just sharing a meal? They would have said, absolutely not. Are you crazy? Why would I go to their house? But after the resurrection, after Jesus' death and resurrection, all of a something, all of a sudden, by the Holy Spirit, something unique starts to happen. Jews are eating with Gentiles. Gentiles are eating with Jews. Remember when we went through Galatians, that was part of the challenge of the region of Galatia that Peter even got sucked back into. You know, Peter's the guy who had the vision about rise, eat, you know, and, and Peter says, not so, Lord, unclean. And the Lord says, hey, whatever I've made clean is clean. And so Peter's the one 
with Cornelius that, that introduced Gentiles to the gospel. And yet Paul tells us in Galatia, he had to rebuke Peter because Peter was being pressured by other Jews for not eating kosher. And Paul said, hey, eating kosher has nothing to do with salvation. You're, you are doing an injustice to these Gentiles if you tell them they can only eat kosher if they truly are born again and they truly want to be saved. And so that's part of this great mystery. That's part of this great thing that, that reaffirms this mystery. It was, it was the existence of the church, the body of Christ was always in the Old Testament, and the words of promise contained in the Old Testament, the prophetic words are promises to the church, and it supports our future on earth, and it also supports our future on ruling and reigning with Christ, which is another mystery, which is one that boggles my mind that still, when I think about millennium, I think about a new heaven and new earth, I think about eternal reigning, I'm just going, I, I, I can't do it. So he goes on. Verses 10 through 12, he says this. So, why, so why, is he, why is this mystery being revealed? He says, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known in heavenly places. So to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So here we go, mystery inside of mystery. So Paul's saying, look it, this, this, this great revelation of grace... This manifold wisdom that God is making known through the church is not only for the world to know. It's so that the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places might also receive or see this revelation. And he goes on, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So this mystery was being given to us, revealed to us, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to principalities and rulers and authorities in heavenly places. So what does that mean? First of all, it says this... This wisdom is manifold, and manifold means multifaceted. So it's, it talks about intricacy, complexity, this great beauty. And so that it must be made known is a big contrast to what was said in verse 9, when, and I'll just read it again, and to bring to light what is the administration of a mystery which for ages has been hidden in God. With all created things. So in the same, you know, in, in verse 9 he says this. He says it's hidden, and now he says it's to be revealed. And so we have this, this great thing. Understanding the character of God is not for self-glorifying. It's not for self selfish motives. It's not to show how smart we are, how wise we are, how spiritual we are. God does this that his glory might be manifest in that which he's created, in his creatures. And so the glory of the creature is directly connected to the glory of the creator. And so we don't often think in the context of, of God's grace and this mystery, we don't often think about angels, fallen or unfallen, because they too are creatures created by God. And Paul says this, this manifold wisdom 
has, has been given to us so that these who are in the heavenlies might have understanding. And, and so understanding, um, you know, through the church, the principalities and powers see this. So what does he mean when he says that? God is going to reveal this grace through the church. He is revealing it through you and I even now. It wasn't, it got Paul, when Paul got it, that was the revelation and boom, the revelation's out there. No, it is revealed every day through our lives. This, this revelation of the grace of God at work in our lives that sees neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, you know, slave or free. It sees us all as one body in Christ. And so in the big picture, God doesn't use angels to reveal his wisdom to us. Okay? That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Scripture is very clear. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, and the Lord who gives wisdom will give it liberally. So wisdom comes to us through the Holy Spirit, through God. But, you know, he doesn't use angels, but instead he uses us to reveal his wisdom to angelic beings, both faithful two-thirds of the angelic hosts, and unfaithful, a third, those who fell with Lucifer. So here it is. We are called for something greater than our own individual salvation, our own individual sanctification in Jesus, right on cue. Your life in Jesus is not just about your salvation. Your life in Jesus is about a kingdom, your life in Jesus is about a community. Your life in Jesus is about fellowship. And your life in Jesus is about revelation of the grace of God in heaven and on earth. So we are called for something greater than ourselves. We are called to be the means by which God teaches all creation a lesson. Now that's what Paul's saying. The manifold wisdom of God is given to the church that it might be made known by so part of our life is, is teaching. You know, they, they say either you teach by words or you teach by example. So it isn't by so much by what we say. It's about how we live our life and how the grace of God works in us. Because understand this, angels, good and bad, do not get to experience the grace of God. Jesus didn't die for them. Jesus died for us. God's grace, the ministry of grace, this revelation of this mystery is for us. It's not for angelic beings. So angels who are all around us all the time are watching the grace of God enacted in our lives. So when Ted Bundy was sitting there at that table confessing everything he had done that was, was vile and evil, the angels in heaven were learning, watching the grace of God at work because they witnessed what he had done and now they're witnessing the grace of God and they saw the grace of God when Ted Bundy breathed his last breath and was ushered into the presence of the Lord because of the grace of God, not because of his sin and his fallenness. And so we're surrounded 
I, th I think, you know, we should be mindful. I'm, I'm going to assume we are mindful that God's always watching us. We're mindful that the Holy Spirit is with us wherever we go. But are we mindful that there are actually, if, if, if we could see the, the heavenly realm of what's going on, I'm always drawn back to that story with, um, you know, the, the prophet Elisha and his servant who is overwhelmed because they're surrounded by an enemy. And, and he's just saying, well, let me read it. It says, now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I want to go to that movie. I, I want to be the guy. Seriously, I have been up in the canyon praying before. I'm going, Lord, just two seconds. Just let me see for two seconds what's going on. You know, I just, but because we, we're not mindful of that. We're not, we're not fully understanding. When we, get, when we get to Ephesians 6, everybody knows we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. But do you ever stop and think, what does that look like? Paul says, we're wrestling with fallen angels. I don't think we take time. We, we, we kind of always over-spiritualize things, and I don't want to under-spiritualize it. But the reality is this. Angels are watching us and learning about the grace, the wisdom of God demonstrated through grace. And so what, what are they with wonder and awe? They have to learn something which makes them watch us with wonder and awe. So these are my thoughts. They see us in all of our weakness. They see us in our sin. They see a nature which, wrecked by itself, was made in the image of God. They see God at work upon the wreck to produce results mysteriously wonderful. They see these fallen mortal beings, this community of the lost and the saved, not only being and doing for God here on earth, but spiritually present with him in the holy of holies above. I think that's another thing we lose sight of, is that when we pray, when we worship, we're not here. When we pray, the Bible says we enter into the presence of the Most High. We enter in through Jesus, through this new and living way. We enter in through his blood. And I think we lose sight of when we're praying this morning. We were in heaven this morning when we were worshiping. I mean, there, there was... We were doing what heaven was doing. We, we, we're on that sea of glass. We've entered into, God loves this. And, and, and we lose sight, I think, of how much spirituality, how much spiritual dimension there is going in, on in our life every day. Angelic beings, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, the blood of Jesus, the grace of God, giving us access into the things of God. And angels see that. And they see it in wonder and awe because they will never, ever experience it. They will never know it. They only know what they see. 
and they see through us, and they see us as a mess, and then they, and they're in wonder at how the grace of God takes this mess and makes it beautiful. And so here, here's the thing, you know, so principalities and powers in heavenly places see right through all our stuff. So we, we may think our lives are small and insignificant. Angels know better, which kind of touches what Gina was on today. Don't ever, ever, ever see your life as insignificant because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And just like, you know, Jeremiah said, God, I'm just a kid. Come on, you can't mean me. You know, that's why I'm believing for these in this other realm that they are going to walk in the gifting and anointing God has for this day and this hour and this generation to know his voice. And if, if your life, if your entire life is to touch the life of one person, don't ever, ever measure yourself against Billy Graham. Don't measure yourself against somebody else who is more zealous or more gifted in another area. You are put here purposely to do something purposely to the honor and glory of God by his grace. And angels are watching that. All of heaven. We, we are the movie. And the angels are watching the show. So don't ever, ever, ever underestimate. And at the same time, don't ever, ever, ever say no to God. Because that may be the moment that the destiny of someone's life changes, that changes the destiny of the world. So know who you are. Walk in that confidence. Don't measure who you are by anybody else. Measure yourself by the grace of God, by this great mystery of which he has called you and given you everything you need to accomplish his purpose for you in the eternal realm of what God has planned. So as we see that, so we may doubt our seating in heavenly places, Angels see this spiritual reality with eyes wide open. John Stott, a great theologian, said this, the history of the Christian church becomes a graduate school for angels. So our lives are PhD material for angels to watch and to understand. So scripture says angels and demonic beings are looking on and God's intent is to teach them through us. So I want to tell you, it's just not Paul. It's throughout the Bible. Peter talks about it. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it when he writes to Timothy. So let's look at these verses real quick. 1 Peter 1.12. The things which ha now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. So Peter's saying, this revelation you got, this life that you're living, angels long to experience what you're experiencing. They're longing to look into it, but they never will because they're not the recipients of the grace of God. So Peter indicates that angels are curious about the matters of grace and about the gospel work in our lives. Jesus said angelic beings are interested in human affairs. Listen in Luke 15, 10. In the same way I tell you, and, and get this, there is joy in the presence of angels, the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So think about that for a moment. The angels get joyful when someone comes to Jesus. Why? Because here's another demonstration of God's grace that they're going to get to watch. 
Here's another person where they have seen what they deserve, and they're seeing through Jesus what they receive, and they're going to watch this person's life until they are in the presence of God with them, and that's part of their learning, watching how grace works in the life of this person. That is so powerful. Angels are joyful when someone comes to Jesus because it's another opportunity for them to learn and to see God's grace at work. And that's Jesus who said that. That's not Peter or Paul's revelation. That's Jesus, who I am guessing is speaking firsthand. He knows what he talks about. Then Paul tells Timothy to be fair in his dealings because Jesus and angels are watching. Again, writing Timothy, our charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. I mean, I don't ever say that. We say, hey, Jesus is watching. Have we ever said Jesus is watching, God's watching, and there's elect angels who are watching? And I'm telling you to watch out because they're all watching. But that's what he says to Timothy, that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. So elect angels refers to the angels who are faithful to God, the, the two-thirds who stayed faithful. Elect angels are the witnesses as the way of emphasizing the seriousness of the nature charged to, to Timothy. Goes on, angels are given responsibility to carry souls to heaven at death. Again, Jesus is saying, talk, the parable of the poor man who died. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels. Angels are the reapers of the final harvest. Again, this is Jesus talking. Not Paul, not Peter, not so. This is Jesus. He says this in Matthew 13. The one who sows, and we know the, the, the parable of the sowers, the, the good seed, the, the rocky ground, the, the fallow ground. And the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Now that, I could preach a bunch of messages just on that, but I'm not going to. I just want you to understand that angels are actively watching and are actively involved in God's eternal plan. And look at, angels have been with God in heaven since God created them. The presence of God, that was. And as glorious as their life has been in the presence of God, in, in this continual antiphonal worship chorus that's taking place in the heavenlies, as great and as grand as that is, which is what we long for, the angels know that what's awaiting us is greater than anything they have ever known or they ever will know. That we who are created by God like them, but we who are created in the image of God as humans, who are fallen in sin, who have partaken of grace, that we are going to rule and reign eternally with Christ. Angels aren't. So they look at us with awe. They look at us. They're not jealous of us. They are joyful. They are joyful when one of us comes to the Lord because they know what's in store for us. 
So according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished, the last thing that, that, that Paul says here, so the mystery reveals and furthers God's eternal purpose in Jesus. The mystery of a unified body of Christ is in accordance with that purpose. The preview of what Jesus will ultimately do in the fulfillment of summing all things up in him, this eternal place. So the church appears to be God's pilot scheme for the reconciled universe of the future. So we are a picture right now, a broken picture, of what eternity looks like when people live and operate in the grace of God. And so this mystery of God's will is going to be administered in the fullness of times when the things in heaven and the things of earth are brought together in Jesus. Until then, we're, we're just kind of like the cliff notes. Or maybe we're the golden book to the novel. But the reality is we're a picture of what's to come, but not even close to what it's going to be. And so Paul can say that this eternal purpose is already accomplished because its fulfillment is a certainty and, you know, shown by the work that's already been done between the Jews and the Gentiles in Jesus. And so he can speak that even though it's begun, it's already finished. So he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. He who has begun a good work in the church will bring it to completion through faith in him. So unity has nothing to do with national or ethnic identity. It only has to do with faith in Jesus. And then finally this, Paul closes with this statement. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. So Paul's saying, look, it don't get bummed, you know, that I'm in jail because I brought the gospel to you because what I'm enduring is for your glory. So he was still being used by God in service, even though he's in jail. And so when Paul writes to them from prison, you know, I just want to remind you why he's there. Paul was driven with the passion to bring salvation to his own people, the Jews, and on a strategic visit to Jerusalem, he preached at a crowd, to a crowd near the temple. The opportunity ended in disaster. Jews couldn't stand the idea of the good news of the Messiah and be extended to Gentiles. There's a riot that took place. Go back to Acts 21 and 22 and read about it. A riot takes place. Paul uses his Roman citizenship to appeal to Caesar. He's in prison in Rome waiting for trial. And Paul knew God wanted Gentiles to share the good news of Messiah, and he wasn't afraid to preach it. And so he says, which is your glory? So Paul was being used probably in a greater way than he ever imagined. When I was reading this and thinking about it, um, when Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, was awaiting, probably I don't know if he thought he was awaiting execution or not, because it was such a spur-of-the-moment thing. While he was imprisoned, that he wrote the cost of discipleship. It's, it's while he is not doing what he called do. And, and if, if you remember Bonhoeffer's story, Bonhoeffer was so against the war because he was a pacifist. You know, he even went to America, and they, they begged him to stay in America. But when he went back to Germany, he said, all of a sudden, he said, the only way this war is going to end is if we kill Hitler. Hitler dies, and so he partakes in the scheme to assassinate Hitler. Now, that scheme failed, which tells you it has to be God because, I mean, the bomb was in the room, and a lot of people get hurt, but Hitler doesn't. 
And so he gets arrested, Bonhoeffer, but while he's in prison, he writes writings that still have an incredible impact and power on the church today, just as Paul did. I don't think when Paul started preaching to the Gentiles there in that court outside the temple that he thought he was going to end up in prison in Rome. But because he did, he wrote to the Ephesians, he wrote to the Colossians, he wrote to the Philippians, he wrote to Philemon. I mean, because he was, he had writings that we're reading this morning, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years later. And so... And all those letters and all those people have a place in God's eternal plan. And even though Paul wrote that letter to the Ephesians, he actually wrote it to the church. And so he wrote it to us as well. And so the very things he's telling them then, he's telling us this morning about the grace of God at work in our life, about how we're part of the great mystery because we are Gentiles and how we're part of the body of Christ and how angels are watching us. Our lives are instructions to them. And so knowing this and working toward this is a great guard toward losing heart in the midst of tribulation. And um, so I encourage you, do not lose heart. Do not minimize your life. Do not underestimate who God has called you to reach and what their life will be. I've led people to the Lord in my life. I have no idea where they are. Um, and I'll just close with one story because it's interesting how you think our insignificant things change somebody's life. Um, you all know, well, maybe you don't, but Adrian Greer, who, who uh, is founder of My Third Place. Um, I've been on the board since it began. I'm about ready to, to term out. Ten years is enough time on a board. Um, and so we're in the process of finding a board member to replace me. And so I had coffee with this candidate and, and Adrian. And Adrian told a story about me I'd never heard before. Um, Adrian was my son's best friend in high school. And, and Ricky played a role in Adrian coming to Christ. But he shared with this potential board member, he said, the changing moment in my life was this. He had been in a car accident. Uh, where he had almost lost his life. The car had rolled multiple times on the freeway, only he had bodily injury and was in the hospital. Um, you know, he had cracked ribs, he had a number of things. And um, we knew, I've met Adrian a couple of times, I didn't know him that well, we knew of him because he was Ricky's friend and we knew Ricky had brought him to a sinner's prayer, but Adrian was still not walking with Jesus. And... Um, so Janet and I went to the hospital to visit him. We met his mom, and it was a short visit. He told this, this potential candidate, he said, the turning point in my life was when Rick and Janet showed up in the hospital room. He said, they cared about me. And he said, so I decided, okay, because my son was always trying to get him to come to church, and he would never come. And he says, okay, if they're going to visit me, I'll visit them. And he said, that morning, teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount, and Rick was teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount. Some things never change. Teaching out of the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, by the end of the message, I was bawling my eyes out because for the first time I realized how deeply Jesus loved me and how the Bible was actually him talking to me. 
that was an my wife will probably tell you she really had to coerce me to go to the hospital. You know how much I love hospitals. <laughs> coerce me, yes. Yes, guilt me, um, nag me, whatever you want to say. I'd never heard that story. I'd always known about Ricky, you know, leading Adrian to Christ while we're in Colorado and Ricky having our car and them deciding, okay, since you're saved now, you have to get rid of all your drugs. So they took all of their drugs and loaded it into our car. <laughs> yeah. He's 17 years old. There's three 17-year-olds in our car loaded with drugs, and they drive up to the canyon and throw it in the river, which, poor fish. Um, that's the only part of his salvation story I'd known. I never knew that a simple visit to a hospital room would change a man's life forever. So never underestimate the power of a moment. Never underestimate the power of of a visit or a word or something because it changes people's lives forever. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that it is sufficient. I thank you, God, that in spite of us, you love us. I thank you, God, that the greater our sin, the greater our grace. We thank you, Lord, that what we are walking in now is, is a blip on the heartbeat of eternity, and yet it has significant impact on eternity. So God, may we never underestimate who we are in you. May we recognize the power of grace at work in our life. And may we simply every day say, okay, Lord, what's today? And walk in obedience. We thank you for your church. We thank you for the body of Christ. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.